PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Prince. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. I'm your host, Blake Briggs. We help you study for boards. We also help you study for hashtag EM life, all that good stuff. One rapid podcast episode at a time. Dr. Hussein, my partner in crime, will not be joining us today. More on that in a second. But for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge, as we like to say, Come for the stems, stay for the content, not just board knowledge, but really life wisdom. We tell you what you need to know, both on the boards and in real life. We're on Twitter and Instagram at EMBoardBombs, the usual. You can find us there, even Facebook too, or Meta, whatever they call themselves nowadays. But that is where you will find us on the web, the World Wide Web. Dr. Hussein will not be joining us this week. He has recently gotten all in into collagen supplements. He's busy working on a new collagen brownie recipe for his kids at home. So I left him to that and I said, okay, that's your priority right now. You can do that. Him and I are planning to meet up at ASAP. If, if you're planning to go, shoot us an email. We're happy to meet up with you. We'll be at the Emergency Medicine News booth. We'll be covering the conference and interviewing some really awesome speakers. So Feel free to stop by the exhibit hall anytime. Talk to us at the EM News booth. Snap a photo. We're happy to talk. Maybe you get some swag, some stickers, that sort of thing. So we'll see you then. But first, let's go over the STEM. We got a 16-year-old female brought in by her parents out of concern for an ingestion. She apparently was unfortunately dumped by her boyfriend yesterday and was texting her friends and her parents about how devastated she was. And unfortunately, the parents state the patient confided in them that she ingested much of a bottle of Drano cleaner about an hour prior to arrival. The patient is tachypnic on arrival, afebrile, not tachycardic, and alert and oriented. The pharyngeal exam is normal. Which of the following complications is this patient at greatest risk for? Choice A, aspiration pneumonitis. Choice B, esophageal strictures. Choice C, fistula formation. Choice D, peptic ulcer disease. correct answer here is going to be choice B, esophageal strictures. So this patient swallowed Drano, and I know I used a brand name here. That's like a big no-no since medical school, right, that we all learned, oh, we don't have to know (laughs) brand names, and then suddenly you get to residency and everyone's using brand names. But it's pretty universal that Drano has the key ingredient of lye. Anytime you're thinking of drain cleaner, we think lye or alkalinic. And the reason that is, we'll talk about in a second, this is a caustic ingestion. And caustics are agents like bleach and ammonia that can burn or corrode tissue due to a strong acid or alkaline nature. So unfortunately, we'll talk a little bit of chemistry here. I know it stinks. I hated chemistry. I hated my pre-med classes, by the way. I was a history major for that very reason. <laughs> Just got through it. And general chemistry was awful. Orgo wasn't that bad. But in general, when we're talking about alkaline and acidic, there's an awesome table we have at EM Board Bombs. And this table just lays it out, tells you what you need to know, because unfortunately the boards still ask about this. I don't know why. They just do. They realize that you hated chemistry, unless you're a chemistry major. 
<laughs> and they realize that the whole point of memorizing this stuff is just to test you on it. And unfortunately, you have to know it. And that's what we're going to go over a little bit here. But some of the details are on our website at this handout for caustic ingestion. But before we go into that, we would be remiss not to talk about our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs but want a TikTok version of our podcast without the drama from TikTok, that's what our Rapid Bombs podcast is. We prepare you for boards and clinical practice. Don't waste your time just studying for the boards. We do both at the same time on our podcast. Unlike other EM study resources, our premium podcast is the only one that downloads to your favorite podcast player on your smartphone or smart device of some type. In other words, if you use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or some other Android thing, EM Rapid Bombs will download directly to your app of choice. We have over 270 podcast episodes and counting on EM Rapid Bombs. Each episode is just two to four minutes where we drop high-yield bombs in a question-answer format so it gets seared into your memory. Don't waste your time studying just for the test with traditional question banks. You can optimize your time by listening to our board pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. You can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com and look for the show notes on this podcast as well. You can also find the link at EM Board Bombs, the main website. Much of this case we're talking about today, acoustic congestions, is covered by our EM Rapid Bombs podcast. So if you're a premium subscriber, you've already heard a lot of this stuff. You've also gained uh, multiple episodes covering key questions the boards are going to go over. We'll talk about a few here in the main podcast, but keep that in mind. If you're a premium subscriber, you get access to that special amount of content that'll really help you uh, pass your test, as well as just optimize how you're studying and what you know for real life. Let's get into it, though. So, caustic congestions, they're much more common than children, like 80% of cases. And they're usually accidental exposures in children, but in adults, they're unfortunately intentional. Adults are more likely to ingest higher amounts of substances, resulting in more severe esophageal and gastric damage. So which one's worse? Well, alkaline ingestions are more caustic and damaging than acidic ingestion, and the most dangerous. Causes a liquefactive necrosis, remember from M1 year, (laughs) pathology class. And these are going to be drain cleaners, other household cleaning agents like lye or disc batteries. They're painless to drink. Usually, large amounts are ingested because it's painless. It's also highly viscous. And due to the high viscosity, it's going to cause more esophageal injury than gastric injury because the initial point of contact is going to be prolonged against the esophagus. What about acidic injuries? Well, these are going to be substances like toilet bowl or swimming pool cleaners, anti-rust agents, or battery fluid. They're painful to drink, so limited amounts are usually ingested. It's also have a low viscosity. It's very liquidy. And therefore, it slides down the esophagus really fast, goes to the stomach, and causes severe gastric injury, usually more so than esophageal injury. Now, is all this true all the time in real life? Absolutely not. <laughs> Does all this really matter in real life? Not really. You're going to treat all caustic ingestions the same, whether they're acidic or alkalinic. It doesn't really matter. You're not going to be sitting there thinking about what the pH of the substance is, but you are going to be thinking about just in general what the damage is to the esophagus. One thing that's really important here is liquid household bleach. Liquid household bleach is rarely caustic. In fact, the most standard amount of household detergents, bleaches, and cleaners have pHs like 9 to 11. They rarely cause injuries unless taken in large amounts, like the patient in this stem. She took a large amount, unfortunately, in a suicide attempt, greater than 200 milliliters. This is not true of 
pods, like those detergent pods. Remember, that was a thing several years ago. I don't think it is anymore. I think TikTok's moved past that to some other idiotic challenge. But that Tide Pod challenge or whatever happened several years ago, uh, I think I was in training at the time, those are much more concentrated. So if a child swallows those, those need to be taken seriously. It's not just a sip of bleach, household bleach, and usually those patients are fine. We'll talk about at the end of this episode what to do with asymptomatic patients and what, when you're observing them, et cetera. Let's talk about the presentation here. So there's a wide variety of how patients present. Unfortunately, early signs and symptoms don't always correlate with severity of tissue damage. Patients are usually asymptomatic from their injuries, like the patient in the stem. Really, their only symptom at this point now was tachypnea. And that makes sense, as we'll talk about this in a second. The most common presenting symptom in children, though, is dysphagia. Other symptoms can include oral pharyngeal or epigastric or chest pain, dysphagia, odonophagia, vomiting, much later symptom, hypersalivation, hematemesis, extremely rare. In children, drooling's a scary thing. Yes, do babies and toddlers drool every now and then? Absolutely. But they control their secretions. If you have a patient that has drooling and the secretions are just pouring out of their mouth and they're not swallowing at all, that's concerning. That's foreboding sign, indicates oral pharyngeal injury. What about epiglottic or laryngeal injury? Well, any hoarseness or strider or aphonia, they're always rare, but those are extremely concerning if you have those. Any evidence of tachycardia or hypotension or even a fever might indicate the worst of the worst, which is esophageal perforation. This is a huge red flag. We'll talk about the workup of these patients, but the details of really esophageal perforation and Borhave syndrome, two different types, can be found in a different handout, different podcast. Check that out on our website. So this is a really important point I'm about to make. The presence or absence of any clinical symptoms doesn't predict or exclude the degree of esophageal or gastric injury. Moreover, you can't just rely on the physical exam. The presence or absence of oral lesions or burns is not a good predictor of esophageal injury. This isn't the case nowadays, and the boards know this. They know that patients can have a normal pharyngeal exam and a normal presentation, and if you send them home still, they can die and you'll fail the boards, and that's not good. Also not good in real life. So just know that the physical exam and the history are sometimes not that helpful. What about complications? Well, this was the whole point of the question, right? I was asking you what the most common complication was from this patient presenting after ingesting Drano or lye, really. And damage to the mucosal tissue of the esophagus and the stomach can lead to irreversible changes. And the following complications are all rare, except for the last one I'll talk about. Bleeding is rare, less than 3% of patients. It's, it's rare to have frank bleeding from these injuries. Fistulization, also rare. It can occur any time after massive ingestions. It's not going to occur at the time of presentation, of course. Malignancy, it can happen. Unfortunately, a large percentage of patients, but it's still not the most common complication. Strictures, however, the most common complication in adults and children, both. This is a board question, and that's why I gave it to you all today. Up to one-third of patients with caustic esophageal injuries will have strictures at some point. The crazy thing is, is that these strictures can develop very early, like within two months of ingestion of the initial injury. That's crazy. You would think that, I mean, I, I thought at least when I was learning about this, that it would occur years later, right? Or several months later. Well, no, it's very, very early in the process. And of course, this is a lifelong issue of having these strictures. So what's your workup going to be? Well, obviously, your main objective is to distinguish non-harmful ingestions, especially in children, right? Just the, you know, children sometimes will sip just a little bit. They won't have any more. Usually those patients do all right. What about the life-threatening ones? Or we don't know how much someone has taken or a child has ingested, right? That's your job is to figure out what the difference between those two categories is. 
who goes home, who's admitted to the hospital. As usual, you do a general tox workup. We're not going to get into this. It's on our premium podcast. We go into details about how to do a tox workup. It's on our website as well, several handouts. You're going to ask EMS or family members about home medications, prescription medications. Again, more details found on our website. So getting into the physical exam, we kind of threw some shade on it a few minutes ago. We're going to continue to throw shade. Be attentive to these vital signs. And the patient in the stem had tachypnea. That's all you need to know that this is a bad thing, right? And she's going to 100% go to the ICU. She may or may not be intubated. Not very good. Any patient with stridor or respiratory distress, change in voice, hoarseness, stuff that's very foreboding, right? Stuff that we were concerned about, epiglottic or laryngeal injury, they're going to be intubated. And early intubation needs to happen for these people, right? They're going to get scoped sooner or later. Their progression is potentially worse over the next few hours. Intubate them. Remember that your exam of the oral pharynx is limited in its accuracy. You're only going to see the top of the throat. The damage usually is not up there. They've done plenty of studies on this showing that the presence or absence of burns doesn't mean anything in the first few hours. You might see some edema. You might see maybe some erosions or abrasions or ulcerations. It's very unlikely. So just because you don't see anything doesn't mean there's no damage below your view. Chest x-ray. Is it going to help with the oral pharyngeal exam? Absolutely not. But you're going to do it all the time. They can rule out other ideologies. It might show evidence of esophageal perforation in a small minority of patients. It can show pneumomediastinum, you know, subcutaneous emphysema, pleural fusions, hydropneumothorax, whatever. All that stuff is not specific or sensitive, per se, for esophageal perforation. But if you have it there, it's concerning. You, and you should always get a chest X-ray on any type of patient with shortness of breath or respiratory symptoms, of course, in general, especially with an ingestion history. What about CT here? Well, you're, you'll be shocked to hear, maybe you're not if you like to order CT a lot, <laughs> you'll be shocked to hear that CT neck and chest with contrast should be probably performed on most adults with a cauchy congestion. A CT can reliably show the depth of injury and the degree of necrosis. And we're not getting into the details on this, but any patient that you're looking to map out more, if there's concern for esophageal edema or esophageal preparation, we're going to get a CT neck chest with contrast. Labs are not very helpful here. They're, they're really going to help with other tox screening cases, right? You're going to get a sedimentary level, salicylic level, blah, 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 that sort of thing. But it's not going to help you with caustic ingestion damage. So let's get to the management here and the disposition. So anyone with signs of perforation and or CT evidence of you know, necrosis in the esophagus or stomach, they're going to need emergency laparotomy. That's a no-brainer, done, easy patients. Here's where we get into the difficult ones. What about asymptomatic patients without significant ingestion that we know of? right? This is the classic stem, the most common one you see in pediatrics, where the parent brings their child in and says, I, don't, I think my toddler may have ingested something. I'm not sure what. I, you know, I was cleaning and I turn around, I saw them with a bottle open in front of them. You know, now they're breathing fine. They have no complaints. They look great. Exam's normal. Well, if the exam is normal and the history is non-concerning for a large caustic volume, then the patient can be discharged after they tolerate PO. Now, if the ingestion is in a child, though, it's recommended that we observe them for several hours. Now, this is interesting. Several hours. I discovered in residency, I, I always asked attendings what they meant by observation or what they thought observation meant. You know, what, how many hours is that uh, for, you know, certain conditions? And in pediatrics, especially, this seems to vary a lot, right? I've never seen any published literature on what this actually means. Is it one hour? Is it four hours? Is it two hours? Two hours seems to be the magic number. So anyway, if ingestion is in a child, it's recommended you observe them for a few hours. Whatever that means depends on your institution, depends on what your group maybe is comfortable with or what you've seen people do. There's no solid evidence on what that number is. 
What about symptomatic patients or any with significant ingestion? Well, any symptoms, the presence of oral burns, or a history suggesting high-risk ingestion requires obvious admission to the ICU, though, and they're going to get endoscopy. Now, patients who are unstable at any point with a history of caustic ingestions need to be intubated. Even if they're not at that moment having difficulty breathing, if they have a history of caustic congestion and they have unstable vital signs, it's going down. <laughs> Intubate them. These patients are high risk for oropharyngeal or glottic edema. Treat these patients almost like airway burns, right? From a fire or a trauma patient. All these patients require ICU admission. There's no medications or antidotes available. PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, they're used for stress ulcer prophylaxis. Sure, whatever, that sounds great. Sounds like inpatient stuff. Steroids have not been shown to help, so don't give them. I'll talk about this again in a minute. Antibiotics, don't give them. Broad-spectrum antibiotics like AMP and Solbactam, Ampicil and Solbactam, are only for selected patients with perforation or suspicion of mediastinitis. And then, you know, of course, if it's of softgel perforation, you will give antibiotics, absolutely. But just a plain old caustic congestion does not need perforic antibiotics. There's no evidence that they help. And endoscopy is typically performed within the first 24 hours or so. It's kind of like a GI bleed thing, right? They've studied and shown, okay, this isn't, doesn't need to be done in the first three hours. We don't know the extent of damage. No one really knows, actually, the optimal time to do endoscopy. doesn't really matter, though, because that's not really relevant to us. Just call GI early and try to coordinate this to help your inpatient colleagues out. All right, let's go over the, the fun part of this podcast. Things you should never do and you'll flunk your boards if you do them. That's literally the title of this section. So never place an NG tube. <laughs> I just laugh because what are we doing NG tubes still for? Uh, really, the only thing you do in G tubes is like, you know, small bowel obstruction, decompression, or whatever. It can induce vomiting in G tubes. Obviously, they worsen esophageal injury, and they can also cause perforation. So just don't do it. Stay away from these things. In general, you should probably never, ever do an NG tube for any tox case. You know, I hate to sound so, uh, what's the word? dogmatic, <laughs> but don't do NG tubes ever again for anything tox related. Let's just be, just be clear on that. Never give emetics like Apicac for the same reasons I just mentioned. <laughs> same with activated charcoal. Don't do that. They don't work for caustic congestions. Ipecac shouldn't be given probably ever in your entire career. Uh, I don't know if EDs even still have Ipecac. It's always the wrong answer on tests. That's the only reason it exists. Kind of like calling the hospital ethics committee. Always a wrong answer. <laughs> when you're dealing with an ethical question. So what about neutralizing agents? I didn't know these things existed. Don't give them. The damage from the reaction is about instantaneous. So if you have an acidic agent, the thought is, oh, we'll give them something alkaline and we'll neutralize it. Dude, this isn't chemistry class. Just keep it simple. Let's not try to be fancy here. Uh, no neutralizing agents. Don't give those. And what about steroids? Again, don't give them. They're not been proven to have any effect. There is some debate. I will, I will say there is some debate what I saw that steroids may be helpful in children. This decision is made post-EGD. It is a PICU decision. Don't do it. Don't get involved with that. It's not made by the ED physician. All right. All right. Well, that's another board bomb delivered. Thanks again for listening. Again, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at emboardbombs. Remember to drop an app overview. If you are or are not a premium subscriber, we still want to hear from you. We still want to hear your thoughts on the podcast. We'd love for you to drop a five-star review. And you can also recommend topics in the Apple Podcast comments. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for all you do for your patients. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Music.